Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brody, listen, you outlined a lot of different factors that went into your decision to hire Luis Rojas as your manager here. Um, certainly, a lot of guys that, that you went through the interview process with had at least similar qualities. What, at the end of the day, really pushed Luis over the top for you? Well, clearly familiarity. I mean, he had a long history with the organization. He mentioned in his opening comments that he considers this his baseball family. You know, his, it's the only organization that, uh, that he's ever worked in it's outside of being a player. Uh, we got a chance to know him, at least personally, over the course of the last year on the Major League coaching staff. But the players knew him, the players trusted him, and he understands exactly what we're trying to accomplish at spring training this year because he's helped build our program. And that was, that was a big, big part of it. You know, really excited for him. Um, guys love playing for him. He's going to have the clubhouse immediately, um, which is awesome. And, um, yeah, he's, he's managed just just about everyone in that locker room kind of at some point. So um, I, I like to hire a lot. You know, there's, there's not a better person who or more deserving person than Luis Rojas. That guy will work uh, endlessly to, to make sure he can, you know, provide anything and everything for you to be successful. And it doesn't matter who you are, uh, he always wants you to be at your best. And, you know, the person who genuinely cares about you and being successful, uh, you know, he, he wants to win. Uh, he'll find any way to get it done. And, and, and that's what brings out the best in, in his players and the communication he has on a, on a coach to player, manager to player uh, basis. Is, it's incredible. So I think that at the end of the day, it brings out the best in the player.
You just heard from Brody Van Wagenen, Jeff McNeil, and Thomas Nito about the new Mets manager. Take two of the 2019-2020 offseason. So you can't uh, have a better way to introduce what has been a wild two weeks. Welcome to the Talking Mets podcast here on this Saturday, January the 25th, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Welcome in, everybody, and I don't think as we head into the new year in January, the best laid plans, they always say, don't work out. You know, maybe the Mets were going to sign a, a you know free agent some minor league free agent you know we talked about them going after uh, Jason Castro as a backup catcher there's always been talk about Starling Marte which is all a lot of hot air I think from the start and maybe that would be the kind of move the Mets would make the Cespedes situation we thought at some point it would die down before spring training and we, we were going to do the the throwback Thursdays and really slide right into pitchers and catchers. Well, that didn't happen. And the last two weeks have, have pretty much blown everything uh, up. And I'll start, uh, well, our guest in, in just a bit, uh, Mark Healy, Gotham Baseball, had a chance to catch up with him earlier in the week right after the hiring was announced. So you'll hear that interview, a long interview. Mark and I chatted a little bit about not only this hire, but kind of the Mets process over the years and, and really get into how the media has been covering this team, because I'm going to get into that specifically. Uh, Chris Carlin really uh, showing you and being a, a symbol of what's wrong with how this team is covered right now, and hopefully Rojas knows what he's getting into and can be because he's the daily face something that will make it better or or, or keep them at bay and and give the media something positive to write about. And of course, winning does that. Um, but in this day and age of sensationalism and news- selling newspapers or online clicks, uh, sometimes winning isn't enough. But you could not script the last two weeks. Like, and I said this on the last podcast. I've said this a thousand times. This is very uncommon in today's corporate baseball environment. The total chaos that the sign-stealing report that MLB put out uh, two weeks ago and how quickly the last two weeks have been. And uh, that's funny how the Mets have been portrayed as being in chaos and and scared to make a decision. You know, you got Mike Puma at the Post bringing that up and how Steve Cohen is watching. And, and, and now fans are running around saying, well, Steve Cohen said that, uh, you know, this is a, a real hire that's an indictment on Brody. Well, I don't hear Steve saying that. I heard sources that are familiar. That was what the report actually said. So it goes to show you how writing and media and journalism has an impact and can have a negative impact to the listener who doesn't know. But I think the first thing to take away from all this is I've never seen a more positive review from players about a manager being hired ever. I mean, Beltron didn't get this. Mickey Calloway certainly didn't get this. I don't even remember Bobby Valentine going back in the day. Uh, Willie Randolph, Art Howe. I mean, Jerry Manuel jumped in and had a positive uh, couple of months before things went goofy. But I've never seen it. Uh, and maybe if you have, I'd love to hear that at Mike Silva at com because I've never seen players jump on social media, 
uh, give quotes on MLB Network Radio, as you heard Jeff McNeil and Thomas Nito. Obviously, Brody Van Wagenen said that the players had a huge input into this hire, and uh, that was one of the things that Brody had mentioned when he took the job, that this was going to be a player's first organization, and sometimes that's dangerous, and, and that really plays into the, my concern with Rojas because it's almost impossible to evaluate Rojas. I don't know the guy. The guy's been in the organization for 13 years, and I have to tell you, before he was the quality control coach, I, I heard his name in, in Binghamton, but you don't really pay that much attention. Usually managers in the minor leagues, unless they're a star on the star track or have a name like Ryan Sandberg or when we did our throwback Thursday with Gary Carter, the late Gary Carter, you heard about his experience in the minor leagues. And, and you know sometimes you'll get an, a, a veteran manager that goes back down to the minor leagues to be... Uh, kind of a disciplinarian and teaching the knowledge and what have you. So you don't really hear a lot about it. So I haven't heard about Luis Rojas until last year. Um, And you certainly know the bloodlines, the Alou bloodlines. Those are good bloodlines. And you just don't know. I mean, because this is just all sprung on everybody, just like the sign stealing was sprung on everybody. Uh, Quite simply, you have somebody who, like Mike Vaccaro said, and I said this actually on the podcast, if you remember, even before Mike wrote it in the New York Post, this could be the Mets' Jeff Van Gundy. I mean, think back, if you're a Knicks fan that goes all the way back to the 90s when you followed those Pat Riley Knicks teams, you may have heard Jeff Van Gundy's name as an assistant coach, but how many times was he, was he talked about? Did you even pay attention to him? I didn't, and I was a, I'm a huge Knicks fan. I watched every game. I was engrossed in that, different media time. But I think what was really interesting out of all this is how Brody had mentioned that Rojas knows what the Mets have. He knows these guys, and he knows the good thing they have going on. They really believe, and you've seen Pete Alonso, and right away, we talked about this last time on the podcast, when things went bad, Pete Alonso was out there saying, hey, this is about us, about between the lines, let's just calm down a minute with all this bad stuff going on. And uh, I think this, these guys could play for pretty much anybody. I think that's the best part. I think they could have played for Girardi. I think they could have played for Buck Showalter. Uh, I think they could have played another year for Mickey Calloway. Now, do I think that every manager would have been the best fit for the organization and what the front office is looking to do? Uh, certainly not. What is interesting is that this is really a great American story. Kevin Kernan wrote in the New York Post this morning, about how Omar, and it was an interview with Omar Manaya about how this is the old school way of making it up to the big leagues as a manager, how he's managed in winter ball. He's gone through over a thousand games in the minor leagues. How guys like Tony La Russa and Tommy Lasorda, who, by the way, those were guys that were no names at one point. So remember, just because you're a no name is not necessarily a bad thing. It's really a different wave and Beltron has come through. The benefit of Beltron was the credibility as an all-time great player and how he, and I think that was that was the conversation I had with Bob Clappish when the hiring happened. What attracted me to Beltron was that, yeah, he could command respect because he had the respect of the media going in and baseball circles for what he did as a player and how 
uh, you know, and before everything about the sign stealing came out, how he had was a leader on that Houston team and how uh, much Brian Cashman and the Yankees appreciated what he brought as an advisor. I thought that was good. But I also thought that Beltron was at different stages of each player's career. He was Pete Alonso at one point. He's been Cespedes at another point. He's been Ahmed Rosario at another point. He's been the no-name rookie. And how he can really understand the game on the nuances. Because let's face it, this is a front office hire. The front office wants to make the plan and have the uh, the manager execute it. The manager's in lockstep with the front office. And I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding about that. And when we get to the media piece today, I really like to talk about that because the feeling is the front office sits at home like Stratomatic pushes buttons in the dugout and they make calls. That's not really what's going on. Uh, it's about putting a game plan together. Uh, so uh, that's that's interesting. You now have a different path. You have a guy whose work ethic, how he's... I mean, like Josh Satin, former Mets, said this is a guy that was one point was picking up the players and driving the van to the ballpark. I mean, you don't get much lower level. I mean, this is like, think about, put yourselves in your jobs and your companies. This is like the guy that's the janitor that's hired, working his way up to the CEO. What, what, how many times have you seen movies made by that? How many times have everybody applauded those kind of uh, moves? So, um, you know, that, that's, um, that's something really big. And authenticity. And I think it was uh, uh, Rojas had said that he wanted to be accountable to the fans, to the media. And, and although I don't think, and let's make this very clear, the fans of the media are not uh, are not the first thing that's on everybody's mind waking up in the morning. Although they want that to be, they're not the first thing that's waking up uh, thinking about when their day is. They're part of, they're, they're a stakeholder. They're part of that. Uh but being authentic, being accountable as someone who walks into that clubhouse, Mike Stanton said on the MLB Network radio the other day when they were talking about managerial hirings, how important when you first walk into spring training as a new manager, whether you're a former Hall of Famer or, or a no-name like Luis Rojas, they're watching. They're watching how you handle things. They're watching about how you manage things. They're looking for the crack because they want to know who their leader is and, and can they trust this guy. And, and and having the players know him, that that's a big deal because I think they already have some idea. But there's going to be guys walking in. I mean, you know, Cespedes, I know he was on the club. He may have no idea who this guy is. Uh, Jake Marisnik is from another team. He probably has no idea who this guy is. So another thing that was really interesting that I, I really liked was how Brody had mentioned how during his years in player development, he stressed winning. Because every time we hear about player development and how the new minor leagues that they want to transform it into, and I understand some of the laboratory type of work that, that teams want to do now. There's nothing that's 100% bad about that. But the game is about learning how to win and, and playing the game and playing it the right way and practicing, but ultimately getting into game situations and being a winner and going through the grind and focusing on winning is what gets you to where we, we all want to go. I mean, it's about winning a championship. So uh, I think that that's a really, really positive thing that's coming out. Under the circumstances, what did you want the Mets to do? They've already got a plan in place. They've got coaches. If you go out, and this is why it was all fake news when you heard names like Dusty Baker and can they go after Buck Showalter. Those were names that the media wanted for themselves, for themselves to go out 
and have a good relationship or a manager they were comfortable with. Had nothing to do with the team and the team's situation. Those reports and those opinions were about them. So remember that when you read stuff. It's not about me and what I want. I wanted an experienced manager. I wanted Girardi back in October. That was the kind of manager that I thought was important so that this situation, the Mets getting it wrong, which happened right away, would not happen because I felt that this was going to hurt Brody Van Wagenen. It was going to hurt the team's brand, and it has. So now they're in a margin of error of zero. The credibility factor is zero. So they have to be right. This is not an easy decision. Steve Cohen, whatever that rumor mill that Mike Puma at the Post put together, he doesn't have to throw that out if he actually did throw that out to send a message to his group. Brody's not stupid. He's been in the game a long time. He's worked for a big company. He knows when you put your, your, your rear end on the line what happens when you're wrong. He knows that. That's why Mickey Calloway. Mickey Calloway bucked the front office. He's fired. You, you want to buck your bosses? You better show that you know what you're doing and what you can do and how you can do it, and be successful. I will reiterate what makes an important makeup of a manager. They need to manage the clubhouse, check mark. It seems like the club is already behind them. They were The players are part of why he's here today. You've got to manage the media. I think he had a better press conference than Beltron, but, I mean, look, even if you wow the media and win the press conference, it, it does not mean that you're going to be a good manager. Plenty of star managers have gone... And fizzled after that. I mean, Mickey Calloway lit up. Art Howe lit up those rooms during interviews. Um, they didn't do so great in their media scrums. They, they may not have lost the media scrums, but they didn't win it. So sometimes we have to watch the press conference and winning the press conference. But he's going to have to manage the media, and he's already said that he's made that a priority. You've got to manage your bosses. You've got to manage up to the front office. Luis Rojas clearly has the support of the front office. He has the support of Omar Manai. I know that. And that's a big thing in the Mets front office these days. Omar holds a lot of power. Remember that. Keep that in the back of your head as you see moves and players coming in. Uh, I'm not saying he's the GM. That's not what I said. But he holds a lot of sway in this, in uh, decision-making. And then finally, you got to manage a bullpen. Because the bullpen in today's game is what's going to win or lose a lot of what uh, these games come out to. And you have to have the horses to do that. The Mets have not had the horses in a long time. The Mets haven't really had a good bullpen since 2006. And building them has been their uh, their white whale. They haven't been able to do it under Sandy Alderson. They haven't been able to do it under Brody Van Wagenen. They seem to have the pieces now. There's a lot of risk with those pieces, but we can see. And, and, and how do you, and this is important, how does Rojas go in, manage the bullpen, uh, not only just bringing in right guy, right situation, but getting guys up and down, knowing who's ready, knowing how these players in a world where roles are less defined from a, a, a more macro standpoint, what that role is. Hey, you're going to be the guy that when this type of game is happening, you need to be ready then. It's not, hey, I'm the seventh inning guy. Hey, I'm the eighth inning guy. I'm the fifth, sixth inning guy. I don't think that they look at things like that. I think it more is looked at as the type of game they're in. And that's a little bit different because that's a little le- little more abstract because that that may not um, um, you know fly at some point. But for anybody who's mad about, again, like I said, that this is a no-name hire, Tony La Russa was a no-name, Buck Showalter was a no-name, Jim Leland was a no-name, Sparky Anderson was a no-name, and Joe Madden, St. Joe, he was a no-name at one point, uh, too. The concern, there's, the concern is very simple. Transitioning from a guy who's a coach, a quality control coach, to being their friend. 
that well they were being their friend is part of that really being a you know eye level now you have to deliver bad news robinson cano is a big supporter of rojas how is he going to deliver bad news that robbie you may need to sit twice a week to be the best kind of player that we need you to be at your age robbie you didn't run something out that's not the message that we want to send to the team um this is a tough left-hander yeah you really want to play against this guy my numbers from the front office say this is not the right matchup for us today on this particular day. Uh, Cespedes, you want to, you know, make a goofy-looking catch in the outfield and drop a ball? You can't do that. Uh, J.D. Davis, you want to play more? Here's why I can't play you more, because this is what we found out, the front office and I. A lot of those conversations make that, hey, this is the great guy that we want to have as our leader, as our manager to. Wait a minute. Sometimes he's going to make mistakes. I mean, he, Brody said in the press conference, when you're a minor league manager, you do everything. You don't have the support staff you have now. But sometimes having that support staff leads you not to being as autonomous or sure of yourself when you make decisions. Because now you have other people, including the GM and his people, saying this is what we want. And if you say no, if you're allowed to, and that's the real key, then... Um, uh, you better be right, and you better make sure that there's logic to it. And you also, when you say no, say, hey, this is why it'll impact the player. And, um, you know, that that to me is is a, is a big part. You know, whether or not he's a hard ass, uh, I mean, look, um, A.J. Hinch certainly, after you read that Yahoo article, he was nowhere near a hard ass, and everybody loved him as a manager. I'm into discipline and control. But that's why during this second managerial hire process, it was always foolish for anyone to believe, anyone, that they were going to go outside the organization. They had already made the decision that they wanted to keep this as a front office connected manager, not a experienced manager where they have the clubhouse, the front office gets the players, and they run the team. They don't want that. Mets don't want that. Brody doesn't want that, and most teams don't want that. So to hear that this is a Mets thing is laughable because it's not. The Mets are one of the last teams to get on board with this. So just remember that. So uh, be that as it may, again, do I love the hire? Under the circumstances, I can't see how they do uh, better. Uh, Yes, I understand, and this is what I'll get uh, as we take a quick break. This is what I'll get into with the media. You can ask the question, if he wasn't good enough in October, why now? The Mets did not want to be wrong. And I think this is what it goes back to my criticism of the organization. They were so afraid of making the wrong move after they passed on Girardi, I believe, because they didn't want to go that route, that they went with a name that I think they felt was more acceptable. We don't know who was first, second, third when it comes to the managerial process back in October. We don't. The leaks were nil, and nobody knows. And anyone who tells you they do, they don't. I don't know if they were comfortable going this young, this inexperienced, in this particular time when this team was is ready to win. So they've been pushed into it. So maybe they got pushed into the right decision. And what a story this would be five years from now if this guy is doing a nice job and the Mets are winning. You know, Maybe they win a championship, but maybe they made the playoffs a couple of times and he's regarded as one of the better managers in the game. And uh, he's closing in on tenureship because everyone loves to talk about Terry Collins as the highest, the most tenured uh, manager in Mets history. That's a real indictment on managerial hires that the Mets have had throughout their history, more than a, a positive on Terry. Um, imagine if all this goes back to a story about a lucky bounce 
that happened in January of 2020. What a bad situation that made the organization and the sport look terrible. Imagine if this comes out of it. A great American story, a guy that worked up from from nothing, from a nobody. He was a nobody with this organization. Yeah, he had the bloodlines that got him the job. That helps. But imagine if he becomes a really good manager from all this, if he lives up to the hype. Imagine that story that will, the media will, will, will attach on to. Imagine how that would be. And maybe the Mets got a lucky bounce for a change. Hey, listen, after 25 years of bad managers in this organization— Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Maybe they found their nut. Let's take a quick break. There'll be more right after this. I I just said I didn't like the hire. Right. (laughs) I I was not. I I was very surprised that both chose to engage about it. And I'm kind of curious as to why you would bother to engage about it. But listen, I can't argue with what you said. What is that? It benefits me more than anybody else here, but I'm not exactly. But I wasn't trying, like I wasn't adding him and saying. Oh no, I don't. I don't think you were trolling. You weren't trolling. He, for some reason, he 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 thought it was important to answer you back, and it only it only made it better for you, not for him. Well, yeah. Listen, I mean, I get it on both sides to tell you the truth. I, I do because the Met fans love the fact that guys are passionate and guys are backing up the organization because they have kicked, been kicked around for a long time and they feel like this is a different time. Alonzo feels like this is a different time. And with what happened at the end of last year, you're more than welcome to feel any way you want about it and to be as positive as you want about it. The manager doesn't change the outlook for this season. My point about the whole thing is simply this. You're having somebody that you were debating about whether or not he was ready for the job two and a half months ago, and then last week you're debating about whether or not he's ready for the job. To me, that means he's not ready for the job. If you have to debate that and go back and forth about it, He's not ready. So you're going to throw a rookie manager into a situation a month from spring training and say, here, get after it, kid. All right, we're back. Probably going to get in trouble for using the ESPN clip of Carlin's comments, but I don't care. Cease and desist me. I'm at a point where I'm at a point, guys, with this business. I don't really care. It's not. There's there's not big money being thrown around. I'm doing this because I love it uh, in a lot of ways. The money is, uh, you know, it it ain't nothing that's uh, that's doing much. So anyway, uh, real quick, because I want to get to Mark Healy, just to let you know, I, I interviewed Mark, Mark Healy of Gotham Baseball before the press conference. So that was on Thursday. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, I think that's a great segment. But if you hear us say, hey, the press conference tomorrow, that's why you hear that. For Chris Carlin, who has consistently symbolized what's wrong with radio today and what's wrong with media today, is is hysterical how he would go. And if you don't know what the story is, so real quick, without making a, a big deal about this. So Chris basically went on, and he's been a, a big Mets critic. I mean, I think it was something about getting a polar bear tattoo if the Mets made the playoffs. That was his big shtick back in uh, September really just trolls the Mets fans. He's one of these guys that likes to troll Mets fans uh, to get a reaction because his career is failing. Uh, some of that, I have to sympathize with these guys. It's Radio is an, an insidious business. It's a terrible business. Uh, it's just 
there's so many issues. That's a whole show you could do about how bad of a business radio is. And, and I've seen enough to know how bad it is and talk to enough people to know how bad it is. But uh, he basically said after the hire, well, if you weren't good enough on October, why are you good enough now? And that to me is a get to, to perpetuate the narrative that the Mets are clueless. Mets didn't, Mets were a victim here. Maybe they, they dived in and took a risk with Carlos when there was buzz about the sign stealing. But if you interviewed anybody, Astros manager, uh, you know, Astros front office, anybody that was involved when this stuff was coming out, nobody thought that, A, there'd be long suspensions for Lunhow, Hinch, uh, or Cora would even be involved because he wasn't with Houston anymore. You thought they'd get some fines, they lose some draft picks, that's it. Because it's sign stealing. It's innocuous, right? I mean, everybody does it. Well, that's not what happened. Not only did it go deeper and have a, 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 a window into a systematic issue, which not to beat a dead horse, you're going to hear a lot more about this, about a lot more teams as time goes on. And I would be really careful if I was guys like Brian Cashman going on the Yes Network, giving my opinion about sign stealing, because for guys and teams that have a lot of skeletons in their closet, maybe not sign stealing related, but personally and professionally, I'd be really careful. Real careful. I'd let this go. I'd let baseball handle it. Because you don't want to start throwing things out there. And one day you misstep like Houston missteps. And all of a sudden, the media starts to dig and they find some interesting bones and that uh, skeletons in that closet. Or they dig and they find a body. Remember that. To use an old, you know, mafioso term there. Um, so, uh, you know, it's the media narrative that they want to go after the Mets and they want to paint the Mets as clueless and get the fans agitated. And it's it's a mob mentality. Create a mob mentality so that people call up the radio station and get clicks. Fake outrage radio is destroying radio. Fake outrage, outrage reporting is destroying reporting. If you want to be honest about the situation, you could be honest about the situation saying the Mets took a guy that they thought was the best manager possible they probably didn't take the sign-stealing situation all that seriously from a grander scope. Nobody in the league did, including the Houston Astros, who were at front and center of that. Things got bad. They could not handle supporting Beltron on multiple levels. And maybe, and from what I understand, as they met with Major League Baseball, maybe because he was so involved as a player in the whole situation, they just felt it was a bad look for their team's leadership. I feel they caved to the media. But be that as it may, I'm not involved intimately enough to know how much of that played into it. I do think they caved to the media, and I didn't want them to. But the good news is, is they have a guy that apparently was highly touted. Um, maybe they didn't want to take a risk because of you guys, I'd say, bringing a 38-year-old in. Because they know how tough it can be, how you guys would criticize that, especially in the face of Joe Girardi. It goes back to my criticism of ownership where they're letting the media and the media climate dictate a lot of their moves i hope that's not the case but i feel they let that become a big part of their uh their decision making and that is how you get fired but for chris carlin to go on michael k's show make those comments and then finally get mad about well i was so surprised that the players went back at me i mean that's the old go back to if you're a basketball fan the old flop you know when you flop and you get called for uh an offensive foul and you're like what uh, or you hit somebody and the ref catches you and you go, what? The old Reggie Miller, what? I didn't do that. That's what it's doing. It's the, if you're a wrestling fan, it's 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 like, you know, hitting someone over the head when the ref's not looking and then they look at you and like, oh, I didn't do that. that what, what are you talking about? It's, it just just happened. That's what he's doing. 
He's being insincere to you. He's being insincere to himself. He's playing a game, a bad game. He's not going to get any Academy Awards for that. And what makes me laugh even even more is how Bob Raisman of the Daily News uh, came out with an article this morning about how, well, will the media start holding Brody Van Wagenen accountable now that he's got a young manager uh, that he's probably going to be pushing the buttons from the uh, front office, telling who to get out in the sixth inning, which some of that is, is true. But if you haven't been paying attention, Bob, well, nobody from your newspaper, because your newspaper doesn't do any reporting anymore. They don't. I mean, the Daily News, other than Bob Raceman, I don't read it. And I have issues with the Daily News personally about how you know they attacked my character back last summer, which I won't get into today. But uh, if you don't think the media is going to go after Brody, let me tell you, there is no margin of error for Brody Van Wagenen. They want him out. They're not getting what they want out of him. They're not getting the leaks. They're not getting the relationship. Mike Puma already has set the stage with his, you know, unnamed sources saying that, you know, Cohen's watching Brody. Uh, a story that was a lot of speculation from a lot of people around the situation to come up to a conclusion that is being reported as news. And I implore you guys to be very careful with that. Because now I hear someone call up the radio to Steve Phillips and say, well, Steve Cohen said Steve Cohen has not made a single comment. And let me warn you about this. If you're in the camp that this guy is gone and that when the minute Steve Cohen becomes the owner, whether that's this year, five years from now, a decade from now, maybe never he happens. Who the hell knows what's going on with those negotiations? Steve Cohen is a minority owner that was brought in by Jeff Wilpon. This is not David Einhorn, who's an outside person, who's not necessarily involved in the Wilpon circle. Knowing that, Cohen's more in lockstep, I believe, and from what I understand, and again, this is very loose, you know, many degrees of separation in this, so keep that in mind. I could be wrong, but to think there's a fait accompli that Brody Van Wagenen's fired once this guy comes in, you're not paying attention. This is a Wilpon guy, they're friends. You don't get $20 million as a minority investor without knowing somebody and knowing where your money's going and knowing what's going on. They're in similar circles. So if you think that this is an Einhorn situation, it's not. This isn't Mark Cuban coming in. This is a guy that's part of the Wilpon crony family that has money. Maybe the same guy in the sense of how he looks at things. We don't know. What you like about him is he got $14 billion and he's got cash flow which the current owners don't have enough of. So remember that. So anyway, don't be fooled. Don't let these guys fool you because he's a, a symbol of what you're going to get in print, in digital, blogs, everything. They're trying to bait you. This is a good roster. This is a team that has an opportunity to win. Do they have opportunities and holes? Yes. Is their manager a concern? Yes. There's plenty of concerns. But I'll go to all 30 camps if I were you. Look at what their writers are writing. Look at what the MLB Network is writing. And take away the, the narratives and the fluff. And I guarantee you everybody's talking about the same things of the concerns they have within their organizations. Whether it be a new manager, players they lost, players that are coming up, players that are on the decline. Everybody has issues. So don't be fooled by this. And don't fall for the Chris Collins of the world and their nonsense. Because he's been baiting Stroman and so Stroman Alonzo go after him. That's where I was going. Stroman and Alonzo go after him, and he acts surprised. He acts surprised that the players went after him on Twitter. So, you know what? Players are tired of it. 
Syndergaard has already gone after Decomo last year. I know for a fact Todd Frazier had a lot of issues with this, uh, this, these reporters. They're not stupid. They understand they have a job to do. They understand you need to get clicks. They understand that you need to be critical. But be fair, be honest, and be intelligent. And none of those things are going on in media today. And that's why a podcast like this exists. And, and the problem is that the editors and, the, and the, those who run radio stations do not believe that you guys want to hear this kind of stuff. They think you want to hear sensationalism. They think you want page six. They think you want a version of the news that makes it exciting, like a Netflix drama. That's not what you want. You want the truth, and you want to be able to really dive into things the way they are. And believe me, by that alone, you'll get plenty of the things that they're trying to accomplish. The problem is you have to trust for it to happen organically, and nobody trusts that to happen. So anyway, that's my little quick rant on the media. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Mark Healy, Gotham Baseball. We're going to break down this and everything about the Luis Rojas hire. And uh, who knows, a few surprises here and there. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Well, I, I, I've been prepared for this. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's something that goes way back. Like I mentioned, going through all those years of preparation, they've been great. I mean, one of the things that helps the transition the most is how close this staff is. Our coaching staff is really close. Uh, and we, we have been working in collaboration already in order to get plans ready for the players, plans for the teams in order to break uh, spring training. When we're from a leadership group looking for uh, people to to represent our brand in a meaningful way and to motivate our players uh, that speak multiple languages, when someone who is, has the poise that Luis Rojas commands a room, it, uh, it can create great things. So his communication, not only to the players, but you'll learn his communication with you will be genuine. And certainly from, from a management standpoint, the ability to know that when we speak to Luis, it's going to be it's going to be the truth. I had direct a direct relationship with the with the players, just giving them the analytics, uh, educating them about the analytics so they knew how to employ it toward their plan. So toward their specific plan. I think he helped me a lot to understand, um, you know, different sources where you gather the information. Also, our analytical group, which is a very talented group. Uh, and I think, you know, have, building that relationship with them will help me transfer into uh, this role right here as a manager and have the understanding that I, that I learned last year what I was doing the job. We've, we've been as a staff in San Lucy uh, already, working on preparing spring training for the guys, working on getting spring training ready for us as a staff to get that, you know, moving the way we want it and get the guys prepared towards the season. When I was growing up, I grew up in a, in, in a big league clubhouse when he was a big league manager, and I got to see a lot of the things, a lot of the way he operated and the way he collaborated with his staff, and uh, he also interacted with his players. So that was, you know, I was grateful to see that. Uh, but my relationship with the guys on the team is also a strong one. And, you know, I feel pretty secure of how this relationship is going to be with, the, with, with our roster, and, uh, you know, we're here to win. And joining me from Gotham Baseball, you can also check him out at The Wave. He's got a book coming out about Gotham Baseball. Mark Healy, it's been a while, but uh, Mark, uh, over the last two weeks, uh, I've been thinking about you here, and we you know, obviously have been talking offline. And A, like I said, you know, I guess 
a few days ago when this all this news first came out, you can't make the last two weeks up from baseball and the Mets perspective. You couldn't script it. You, you This is the kind of stuff you'd see with the Bronx Zoo and the 80s Mets and things like that. You don't see that in the corporate culture anymore of uh, baseball and sports. And it's you couldn't figure out the last two weeks. And here we are after all this. The Mets get Luis Rojas as manager. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, have you finally unwound from all this? Yeah, you know, and, and thanks, of course, Mike, uh, for having me on. Um, I, you know, it, it's funny. I, I thought that the process to select Beltran in the first place, Carlos Beltran, uh, was was odd. You know, um, just the whole, uh, it was almost a repeat of when the Mets finally fired Jerry Manuel, you know, and when they were trying to put together a, you know, a, a, a group of candidates that, you know, made the most sense. And this was, this was, you know, it was still a time when you thought that the Mets would hire a baseball guy. You know, they wound up, of course, hiring Terry Collins. Um, and we won't go through all of that. But this time around, it was kind of similar. You know, the, the, the group of candidates that they put together and wound up with Carlos Beltran, um, I think the majority of the fan base wanted Joe Girardi. And I think sure. that certainly that was the guy that, you know, that was the guy that I had focused on. You know, I had wanted Girardi from the beginning. I mean, I dealt with Girardi when I covered the Yankees. Um, and I know a, a lot of the media guys didn't really care for Girardi because they felt that he was, uh, you know, I guess uh, a little um, hard with the truth, <laughs> a little tight with the information. But I think at the end of the day, I think Girardi was an excellent manager and got the most out of some kind of really bloated uh, and over – um, you know, really overextended Yankee teams that were, you know, kind of, you know, it was a glut of overpaid bad players. And I think that Girardi got the most out of those teams. And that's what really appealed to me. Not, not because I thought that, you know, the Mets roster is bloated, but certainly a guy who can take a, you know, a decent bullpen and make it a much better bullpen. And I think that was one of the big mistakes with Mickey Calloway last year. I think that early on with the struggles of Edwin Diaz, I don't think he ever really compensated for it. So I thought that this time around, at the very least, that they were going to hire someone, they were going to hire someone with who had experienced, you know, something similar and was particularly good at taking a group of, of you know, a group of players through a long season you know, based on his experience, it'd be like one less thing that the Met fan had to worry about. You know, if you don't have to worry about the manager, then you worry about other stuff. Um, and in this case, you know, with Beltron, I know there was a lot of, you know, Met fans that were happy with his hire, Mike, but I think it had a lot to do with, you know, the fact that he was a player and then he was going to become a Met Hall of Famer and who cares about any of that crap? <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> shouldn't it be about the W's, you know? Um, and then when the stuff with, you know, obviously the cheating scandal broke, um, you know, I, I I mean, not that I was one of the people calling for him to be fired, but I certainly thought that once Jim Crane lowered the boom on A.J. Hinch and, and, and Lunau, I, I really felt that it was only a matter of time before Beltron, especially since he was named in the report, that Beltron was going to get the axe as well. You would have thought that somebody who's supposed to be as smart as Brody Van Wagenen would have been, would have, you know, would have, would have been prepared, you know, worst case scenario type of preparation where, you know what, Hey guys, I know this story just broke today and this happened, but maybe we should really, you know, have a plan in place, you know, 
in case we, we, we do have to let Carlos go, let's have a plan in place so that we can just plug it in and be like, hey, you know, we, we kind of figured this was going to happen or we at least thought that it could be a possibility and this is why we did A, B, and C. But they didn't do that. Um, as usual, um, as I wrote uh, in the Gotham Baseball column in The Wave last week, you know, it was, as usual, you know, what, what I think Jeff Wilpon said, that, that the process was business as usual. <laughs> you know, and I guess, I don't know who he told. But I say to myself, how do you say that with a straight face? Yeah, it was business as usual, you know, you know, you know, foolishness. Um, you know, look, I think that um, if we're going to sit here and we're going to break down Luis Rojas, I don't really care who his brother is. I don't really care who his dad is. I mean, that really has nothing to do with the job at hand. Just like I thought that when Aaron Boone was named, I don't think being, you know, Bob Boone's son or Ray Boone's grandson uh, or Brett Boone's brother, um, you know, was going to play into his success, success or lack thereof. Um, Aaron Boone took over a team that, you know, and I surprisingly, uh, did has done a decent job. Has he done a great job? Uh, no, because he hasn't won. But you know, with this with this Luis Rojas hire, um, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces here. There's a lot of things to worry about, I think. But there's also a lot of things that you could like. The fact that he has managed before, um, unlike Carlos Beltran. I mean, there's even things about Rojas, which I tweeted today earlier today, that there are things about Rojas I'm less worried about than I was with Beltran. So. From that standpoint, I think they might be better off uh, having a guy like Rojas because the expectations won't be as high. And you kind of take the fanboy, you know, um, element out of it, uh, you know, to a certain extent, because I think a lot of people would have been on the Carlos Beltran is awesome bandwagon in the beginning, even if he struggled because he's Carlos Beltran. So, um, you know, Rojas, and, and I've never seen players go out of their way to go on social media and talk about how happy never, yeah right never you've never seen that right i i, I saw what the the minor leaguers said to de mayo our buddy joe de mayo on sny social media um i mean even the media who look i'm not saying they got beltron fired but they have a way of using the mets as a prop to get the you know routine going the mets play right into it really other than chris carlin and maybe john harper being a little bit skeptical because I think he wanted a, a, a pro, you know, an old pro in there. The media is excited about it. I mean, Mike Vack, uh, he took the words out of my mouth. I said, when this was going on last week, you know, maybe this could be the Mets version of Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, uh, I've never seen this. Now, this could be good or bad. There was one thing that bothered me. I mean, an old article from last year where Thomas Nito had said, well, I look at uh, Ross as a friend. I mean, he's, he's going to have to work on that. These are not his friends anymore. Even when he was a quality control coach, he was their boss, but he re- he really wasn't. He was uh, you know trying to facilitate information. But I I don't think this is a bad thing. But the support it's going to create a challenge. There's loyalties that he's going to have to have tested. Uh, he's going to have to deliver bad news. He's going to have to deliver bad news potentially to veterans like Cespedes and Lowry and Cano, and those guys are his age. Uh, and they and it, it, I'm sure the Mets have looked through all this. Um, but Mark, I've always said the way you evaluate a manager, how they manage the clubhouse, how they manage the media. Now you have to add the front office, the managing up. That was less of a thing back in the day and how they manage a bullpen. And 
I think the front office is running the dugout. Rojas obviously has their support. Um, how does he, in a clubhouse, let's say he checks that off. You know, the media, well, I've heard him speak on a couple of interviews. He seems articulate. We'll see. Uh, the bullpen, I mean, how's that going to work out? I guess there's a lot of questions on the health and, and the performance of Diaz. But uh, to me, uh, it's really going to come down to, um, you know, whether or not he can really live up to the expectations and the lofty expectations of his own players that have played with him and how he can handle these veterans. It, it really is. It, it's, it's not going to be easy. But under the circumstances, let's, be, let's face it, Mark, with, with what happened a week ago with Beltran. Where else were they going to go? Yeah, they could have went Gibbons. They could have went Buck Showalter. But knowing Brody and that he wants to run just like these modern new age front offices, the dugout, whether you like that or not, whether you agree with that or not, you damn well know Gibbons, Showalter, those kind of guys. They're just not a fit. The chance was in October to go Girardi or Buck or something like that. Once they passed, where else they were going to go? That's why it really angered me when – Terry Collins' name is put out there, or oh, you know, oh they're trying God. to drum up the media's trying to drum up, um, you know, support for Dusty Baker. That's that's lying to the fans for clickbait. And I know that's their job, and I know their editors are, and you know better than anyone, an editor needs business. But I also think you can do that and be sincere. And I think there's been so much, even back to October, where. Well, you know, John Farrell could be a candidate for the Mets job. Well, you know what? Dave Johnson could be a candidate, too. Hell, you and I could be a candidate. Are we real candidates? That's the question. So, um, Well, I think the difference, I think the difference, Mike, I think the difference is, is that, you know, just speaking for myself as an editor, um, I would always be very sure to tell whoever was writing for me that, um, you know, when you're going to introduce a candidate and you don't have any proof you know, other than an unnamed source in your story, then it should be, you know, it should be labeled as informed speculation or rumor rather than be, you know, you know, rather than be, and, and again, you know, every rumor, when I used to have a rumor mill, and you and I have talked about this for, for years, when I used to run a rumor mill at Gotham, that was one of the first things that, that I put in place because I always enjoyed um, getting, giving fans a peek behind the curtain, you know, but my, when I would when I would write a rumor, it would be something that I you know I, I don't I would never write a rumor because it was juicy, because you know, you know like somebody who was the clubhouse attendant told me this story, you know. Although I will say I did get some really good juice once in a while from the clubhouse attendants. Really security. Security guards. Security guards. But uh, the uh, to give you good stuff too. I'll tell you that. You know that, but like the idea uh, that no, Dusty, but the idea that Dusty Baker was was a candidate is, is like you know is, is foolishness. And anybody that has covered the Mets and knows better um, would say that Dusty Baker, you know, um, first of all, he's a guy that uh, I don't know if you caught this, but on WFAN, I think Maggie Gray said he's seventy years old like fifteen times. So we know, uh, I guess, that Maggie Gray is a little Collins bit of an ageist. Okay. <laughs> but, but Terry, Terry Collins. Collins. Well, Collins you know, I. That's okay, right? He's got the he's got the John Boy. He's got the John Boy S and the jackpot, you know, uh, you know, clip. So, you know, and that's and that and now all of a sudden we forget how poorly he managed in the 2015 World Series. We forget how poorly he managed uh, down the stretch in 2016. We we forget how poorly uh, he handled the clubhouse, which only became known uh, publicly 
uh, after, you know, people like Mark Carrig and so many others basically hid the fact that not, you know, very few people in that clubhouse, uh, you know, appreciated, even the guys that liked Terry did not appreciate the way that he ran that clubhouse and basically let, you know, four or five people just get away with murder. Yeah, right. well, he delegated so, to the veterans, and that's the, that's you know, and I don't want to make it about Terry, but the little dirty secret that the fans don't know, and I know players who have played for Terry, and 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 he was he he would ignore you if you weren't a star. Uh, he let the veterans run the clubhouse. He managed the media. He certainly managed up. Uh, I don't think Alderson cared completely for him, but it was enough where he kept his job. Obviously, being close and tight with the owner, uh, and and he got really lightning in a bottle for two seasons, the second half of two seasons, you know, basically you can boil that down to like 16 to 20 weeks in seven years. And it's funny because I heard Mark Carrig who blew the lid on this stuff in the final days of 2017, do an interview. I think it was on the Gelbs podcast, Shay, anything or with Pete McCarthy and Tim Britton. I can't remember one of those podcasts back in the summer talking about how much he appreciated and liked Terry Collins. And I'm listening to this. I'm like, Mark, you're the guy who uncovered all this. And at the end, here's the thing I think the fans have to really understand. First off, I I saw a snapshot on Mets blog about how one of the biggest things that Roas has to do is worry about how he handles the fans, the media. The media is part of it. The fans are part of it. But believe me, when he wakes up in the morning, he's not worried about us. He's not worried about the fans. He's got a list of things. That's nope. narcissism of highest. That's narcissism, fan media narcissism at the highest level. And remember something, Mark, and you know this very, very well. Um, media and reporters, especially those that cover the team day in and day out, will give preferential coverage to those who make their job easier. Period. End of story. And um, Terry made their job easier. And that's why he's got the support. Has nothing to do with anything and they like to remind everybody the winningest manager in, in Mets history. Hell, if I stuck around for 30 years and won 70 games every year, I'd be the winningest manager in some team's history too. Doesn't mean I'm a good one. So it just drives me crazy. And I wonder, will Rojas, how it ties into Rojas is he's got all these uh, platitudes from the players. He's got all these early platitudes from most media members. He's young. He'll have that analytics sexiness to him. Maybe the Fangraphs crowd will give him a break, even though he's a Mets skipper. You know the Mets don't get a break from from a lot of outlets. Um, you know how long will that honeymoon last? I mean, you know what will tomorrow at three o'clock when he gets introduced bring? And uh, I guess we'll see because well, hopefully he does that. a Joe Judge. Hopefully he does a Joe Judge and yeah. wins, wins 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 the press conference. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but you know that's the thing. That's... Even Beltran, who didn't have a great press conference, didn't lose the press. You can't really lose. Listen, you lose the press conference, you're in a lot of trouble. If you lose the press conference, it's really Mark. How hard is it to lose a press? You, can't, you may not win. Well, I, I don't think Mickey Calloway. I don't think Mickey Calloway won his press conference, and I got to tell you, um, it was it not was, that I was, was excited. Uh, neutral. Was neutral. Well, I didn't love it. I, I was a little disappointed. I got to be honest. You know, I thought this guy, I thought Callaway was going to be, you know, so much of an upgrade over Terry. And he wasn't. He just wasn't on, on so many different levels. Um, and if you listen, if you read the MVP machine by Ben Lindbergh and Travis Sochek, 
one of the things that Trevor Bauer points out in that book is how happy he was when Callaway left because Callaway wouldn't allow him to experiment with some of the new age things and ways to approach hitters. Mickey Callaway's much more old school than he marketed himself. And remember that term, Mark. A lot of managers market themselves. Now, I don't know if Luis Rojas did. You know, remember Ken Maka was supposed to be the next manager superstar? Think of some other manager superstars that fizzled out. You know, is this marketing? We don't know. There's a lot of guys who like to market themselves. I can't tell you if Luis Rojas did that. I don't think he did. I think the players at least have marketed him well. And somebody in the Mets front office, because they've been talking about him now for two years. Well, I think the other thing too is I think I think the other thing too is is that you know for people to trust this front office is hilarious to me. You know, is the team better? Yeah, the team's better. Um, you know, did they did they pick some really good players? Yeah, they did. You know, they, they you know there is a mix of players here that I think can do a very good job of competing um, in, in, in 2020. But the problem is, is that the, the manager, whether or not you believe, you know, our buddy Matt Cerrone is one of those guys that doesn't, you know, that thinks that the manager doesn't really have that much impact on the, on the, on the end result. And I think that really comes down to that. It drives the, uh, saber magicians as I affectionately call them. It drives them crazy that they can't quantify what a manager does. They think they have, they think that the, they have an algorithm that does that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, you know, the, the players, most of the players hated Bobby Valentine and all they did was win under Bobby. Um, you know, Earl Weaver's players hated him, you know, and all Earl Weaver did was win. Um, Billy Martin, you know, the, the list can go on and on about the play, you know, the managers that players didn't like, I really don't care whether or not the managers get along uh, with the players, you know, um, I always tell my, my, my staff, you know, the people that I, you know, have worked with over the years, there are people that, you know, say, Oh, Mark was a great guy, but there's other people who say I was a prick and, and that's okay. You know, as long as they did their job, I didn't care whether or not, you know, we got along at the end of the day, getting along is gravy, you know, uh, being, being, um, having good relationships with players to me, I think that's gravy. I don't think it matters at the end of the day until you win, unless you win, who cares? You know, what do we, uh, you know, what is this, you know, let's hold hands after every game or is it let's beat the crap out of the other team. Um, and for me, maybe that makes me an old school guy, um, but I don't really care whether or not the players get along with the manager. And that's something that Luis is going to have to deal with because he's going to have one of those games where, you know, uh, and, you know, I, I tweeted this before, you know, he's going to have one of those games where Robinson Cano, his best pal, is going to lollygag down to first base. And then yeah, who's going to get asked that? about it? You know? Yeah. How's he going to handle right. it? We don't know. What if he has to bench? Now, maybe. What if he has to, what if he has to bench? What? Or he has to deliver the news. I don't know. Okay. You know what? <laughs> Cano, you know what, Robinson? You know, and Brody said this um, when he first acquired him, that he thought the best wheelhouse for his health and productivity was about 120 to 130 games. And Cano poo-pooed that. And, you know, whatever he says about working on his core and his lower body, which is true, as you get older, if your legs go, you're done. Anybody will tell you that. Pete Rose said that many, many years ago. Uh, You know, if they say to him, and maybe the only thing that he's got going for him, Rojas, is that because the front office is so involved, because in theory there'd be a dialogue with these guys and Brody has relationships um, and he has better relationships with some of the the players than any you know owner. I mean, he has probably better relationships with the MLBPA than anybody in the uh, front office uh, or ownership group and some other teams because he was an agent. Maybe that'll help. 
but it will be interesting to see how it's handled. Because let's face it, this roster has saturation where some body's going to sit. J.D. Davis may have to sit. Cespedes may have to sit. Uh, I don't, you know, this talk about maybe McNeil, I find that hard to believe if he hits like he did last year. Uh, there's very few guys up and down other than maybe Pete, Pete Alonzo, Conforto, guys like that that won't have to sit. And that's going to be interesting how that's handled. Now, if the front office hands you the, the lineup, you could always turn around and say, well, here's why it's happening. And you could kind of be that intermediary where you're accountable, but you're not. But boy, that's dangerous. Because you're speaking for the front office. And you always say, well, this is why these guys want to do it. But in my world, in the way I look at it, then you're not owning it. You've got to own it. And that's the question I have. Is he going to own the front office philosophy? Because he's not a coach anymore. He could talk analytics. Oh, well, he knows analytics. I mean, guys, let's face it. What is there to know? I mean, you act like there's a secret formula. Maybe he knows how to interpret it and communicate it to players in their language. But this is not rocket science. Let's not make it out to be like we need PhDs here. You know, with some of this stuff. So, well, I think, that I, I, I think that I think the biggest dynamic I'm worried about, and you touched on it a little bit, Mike, is how the front office wants Luis to handle his press conferences, his two a day press conferences. Um, I think in the, in the past, this front office and this ownership has tried to make the manager, um, you know, they tried to coach the manager as to and as to how to communicate with the media. I know over the years the Mets have done these different media training sessions, and they're really bad at it. It's I mean I don't know who's worse. You know I don't know who was worse, Jerry Manuel, uh, you know Art Howe, Terry Collins. I, I don't know who was worse. Uh, Mickey Callaway was certainly horrible. Um, I, I think what I'd love to see from Luis, and and I think this is where that 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 lineage comes in, is that. I want Luis to be confident. I want him to come into those press conferences. And when somebody asks him a question about a player that's lollygagging or, or bullpen decisions, I look, you know, uh, I'll try to explain it in a way that you guys understand. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, almost, you, you know what? You gotta be careful. You can't say that. I know, but and if he says it with a smile on his face and he communicates it, but I'm saying if he says it with a smile yeah. on his face and he's confident, you know, you know, and again, uh, a lot of things have to happen for that for him to be able to communicate that way. Um, but if if I'm the manager of the Mets and I get the opportunity to sit in front of the media, I'm not going to be scared. You know, I'm not going to be intimidated because I'm the manager of the Mets, and these everybody in this room, and that's how I would train him. You know, my media training would be Luis. You're the ma- manager of the Mets. Everybody in that room would rather be you than be them. So that's how you have to kind of communicate with them. And I wouldn't listen to the Omar Minayas or the Alec Bairds or the Brody Van Wagenens of the world because none of those guys are great communicators either. I'd be like, hey, guys, you know what? I got this. That's what I I hope to see. That's what I want to see. Am I going to see that? I don't know. But I think that's the way that, that Luis Rojas can really win he doesn't have to win the media's loyalty. He has to win the fans' loyalty. And by by being someone who's clear, who's coherent, who's confident, and wins games, I think he could become you know you know a special manager in, in Mets history. It, but a lot of things have to go right, and you know it's it's I think the Mets are such a in such a lame duck situation with the whole ownership thing that. Um, 
it's just a lot to ask a, a, a guy who's never managed in the major leagues before, you know, to kind of take on that responsibility. And I hope that this doesn't break him, you know? Uh, and you know, you, you brought that up about the ownership thing. And I think there's this idea from fans and there's certain, uh, you know, independent websites, you know, fan websites that will go out and are perpetuating this to the narrative. Well, uh, well, there's two things. First of all, Mike Puma's column about, you know, Steve Cohen's watching, which Steve Cohen was never quoted in that column that he's watching. Right. Uh, it's exactly. so crazy how that column, there was a caller to MLB Network Radio to Steve Phillips basically saying, well, Cohen said that, that this hire is, is an indictment uh, on Brody Van Wagen. Well, look, well, look uh, you know what? It was said. That's what a caller says. And Phillips didn't correct him. But that's how it happens when you have a column. And I have nothing against unnamed sources. But look, you know, is that his housekeeper that's telling uh, him that? And this idea, though, <laughs> this, is this idea, this I sound like Francesa, this idea that um, this is David Einhorn coming in, like David Einhorn would have came in. Uh, it's not. Steve Cohen is in the Wilpon sphere. Long Island guy, yeah, he's a hedge fund guy. Yeah, he's from a different cloth. He's a minority owner. Yeah, he has money. But if anybody knows about Fred Wilpon, Fred Wilpon will take people's money, but he's also very much about his guys. He's the crony guy, Fred Wilpon. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I do think Steve Cohen is not on board with anything that's going on now. If he's indeed going to be transitioning the next 12 to whatever how many months, uh, you're fooling yourself. That's 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 fans and fan blogs lying to themselves to get the outcome that they want because they don't want Brody because he's a salesman, he's an agent, and Heimblum already is gone, and there's no guarantee Heimblum could handle this market. Let's see him handle anything in Boston. I saw maybe someone say how well how great he handled the press conference about Alex Cora. That was a management situation. He just went there and didn't screw up. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying that's the perfect GM, Brody, but I would say this. I feel a lot better with him selling players on contracts than I do Sandy Alderson, than I do Omar Manaya, than I do Heim Bloom and Allard Baird and so on and so forth. Um, does that mean he's the perfect GM? No, but let's see how this season plays out. But, you know, Mark, you and I know they've got their guns loaded for Brody, and I think part of that goes back to he doesn't make their job easy. He doesn't really give him leaks. There's really, Mark, have you ever seen a situation in the last two managerial searches? Very few leaks. That's very odd how they've managed that. Uh, and whatever well, I think, the reason, I think the reason they've done that, I think the reason they've done that, and I think that, um, I think what, what, because I think that there, every, almost every general manager that's been in place uh, since, you know, my God, since Frank Cashin, um, a lot of them would leak stuff to certain writers for favorable coverage, you know, certain columnists, not even the writers so much, but the columnists themselves. And having been, you know, having been involved in it from time to time, I've seen it happen. You know, I've, I've had front office people tell me stuff, you know, uh, sometimes it's to test me. Sometimes it's to see if, you know, uh, to, to improve a, a bargaining chip or something like that. And I think most of the time, you know, I think most of the time it's worked, you know, for, for GMs, but the, the, everything's changed, you know, everything has changed and information has become such a premium that 
Um, I think the Mets probably, and it's probably Brody because as an agent, you know, the agents were the worst defender, you know, I mean, uh, I don't want to name names, but John Heyman uh, is one of those people that is, you know, uh, you know, certainly has, uh, you know, with his friendship with Scott Boris has been part of that, you know, and he's been part of that, you know, rumor machine. You know, it's one thing when you get a rumor from a scout, you know, when a scout's at at a ballpark and you know, he's scouting someone and, you know, and, and if he trusts you, he'll tell you, yeah, I'm scouting this guy because we're looking at him. That's a much better, to me, that's a much better rumor than John Heyman telling us that so-and-so is interested in signing with so-and-so because he got it from an agent. Now, it might be, you know, depending on who you talk to, they might be say, well, you know, the agent's the one who's going to make the decision. But the agent has an agenda. The scout doesn't have an agenda because you know, you, you, he knows you're not going to use his name. So the scout doesn't have an agenda, especially if you know them personally, you know, they're going to tell you, yeah, that's why we're here, you know, uh, and that's where the, you know, that's where the majority of my rumors used to come from. But I mean, I would get something from assistant GMs. I would get things from coaches. I would get things from, you know, from, uh, from family members of players that were, were being asked if they wanted to, you know, waive their no trade clause. So, you know, I, I think Brody's to be commended, but I think part of it is, is that, I think part of it is that the information has become such a premium that the Mets have maybe the Mets have finally realized that maybe it's a better idea for them because they're in a no-win situation. You know, <laughs> the Mets can never win. You know, they either get ridiculed well, the media, or the telling, media you know, is intent on getting Brody fired. Look, they want to get Brody fired. Look, let's face it, and their intent. And I just saw a tweet, our old buddy Matt Eholt of the Yahoo. I just was going through his Twitter feed. And he basically was telling someone, never give the Mets the benefit of the doubt. I understand it, but that's also now a lot of bias that seeps in. And you really, as a reporter, need to step back, take facts. And if your narrative is, well, I'm never going to give these people the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, the Wilpons are owners, but at some time you have to look at logic in front of you as well. They're intent on painting the Mets a certain way. And I'll tell you something, Mark. I'm not big on players going after media on social media like Stroman did like Pete Alonso did. Uh, I know for a fact Todd Frazier hated the media last year that covered the team. Uh, we know because Noah Syndergaard came out going after, uh, what was it, McCarron or DeComo back in San Francisco uh, earlier, uh, middle, late last year. Uh, it was DeComo. So it was DeComo. It was DeComo, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it wasn't McCarron. Towards, there's a lot of tension towards this beat. And look, I'm all for them having a thick skin, but you open up Twitter. You open up anything. And you see, and this is where Twitter has, has helped guys like you and me. And by the way, you can get Mark on Twitter at Mark C. Healy. I didn't give it out before. It helps, but it also gets to the point where you're in front of my locker and you present things a certain way. And then you make a snarky comment on Twitter. You know, you could criticize a guy like me who says, well, you're never in the clubhouse. I don't pretend to be anybody, but I, I'm not a beat writer. I give opinion and I try to say if this guy was in front of me, would I say the same thing? And, and, I, and I, I would, but I'm not obligated to be in front of them. And I also admit that uh, what I am. But if I'm in that clubhouse and I want to make a snarky, first of all, it's, it's bad comedy. That's the issue I have. It's not even opinion. It's comedy. And then you want to go club. I, a couple of these guys, I'd be pissed. And there's a lot of that going on. And I don't, see it doing, I don't see them do it to the Yankees. And I don't see them do it to the competition. And I think they poke, they poke, they poke. And I think if I'm a beat writer on this Mets club, uh, I, I go into spring training. Uh, there's certain guys that aren't going to take any crap. And you know Stroman's one of them. And if they perform and they, they could get away with it, but if they don't perform, obviously that'll be another story. 
So these are a lot of little things that are the subplots that Luis, I think that's why Beltron got hired because I think they felt a new guy because the question comes up. That was the whole Carlin thing that started with Stroman. Well, if he wasn't good enough in October, why now? Well, Chris, all due respect, now is a totally different situation than October. And for anybody that's not recognize that, that's being insincere. I mean, that's why under the circumstances, Mark, I can't get mad at where they went because how do you hire a manager in a week? And I know it's basically, you can't, but you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't. Gotta, and, and to, to criticize Brody for being a control freak, then they're being insincere about basically 25 to 28 other teams. How many teams give total control now to the dugout? You think Gabe Kapler is totally in control in San Francisco? Please. Well, it's funny I mean, that you bring I mean, up Gabe. It's funny that you bring him up. It's funny that you bring him up because I was arguing with some people arguing with me when I said Hensley Mullins is not a candidate to me. And they were like, oh, but he's got all this experience. I'm like, yeah, he's got so much experience and he showed so much promise that the Giants hired Gabe Kapler, you know? And then somebody said, well, you know, the, the GM wanted his own guy in there. I said, well, yeah, but still, he did, they didn't keep with the organization. They didn't promote him. They didn't, you know. He was he was basically a free agent when he didn't get the job. So, you know, the Mets the Mets picked him up. I, I don't know why, but they did and they picked him up and you know, like he's from another organization. Why would he be a good fit? Well, because he was with it in meetings in in, in a month. You know, for a couple of months he, he was listening to the meetings and that's why he would be it makes no sense, Hensley Newlands. Uh, Luis Rojas made the most sense. He said he's had the most experience managing in the minors. He's he's these guys, some of these guys have played for him and he was a coach on last year's staff, you know, so he kind of knows yeah, so some of the knows, guys, you know, the player. I mean, no, he knows the player. I mean, and, and not only that, but he knows how the big league works. He knows how the big leagues work and, and his job as quality control coach. And I see, I've seen a lot of people make fun of, uh, you know, it's a stupid name. I don't know why baseball has created these like stupid corporate names, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to, to, I don't know who they're trying to impress. Um, you know, uh, really, I, I mean, he was just, you know, he was, you know, he was a liaison between the front office and the players. I mean, that's really what he was. And that's what he's going to be this year. You know, you right. know, he's not, he's not, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be handed the lineup by the front office. Um, you know, he's going to be told, you know, uh, you know, as far as he's going to be get he's going to be given a script just like Mickey was. And, you know, basically the, the feeling is, is that he's better at, you know, he doesn't go off script, you know, whereas Mickey did. Right. And when, you know, and if you're going to go off script, Mickey and Brody hated each other. Mickey Brody you better be an, imp- you better, you better be a good improv guy. If you're going to go off script, yeah. man, you know, you're gonna, listen, um, listen, you know, this, if you go against your boss's wishes, you better make it work. Like you could tell yeah. your boss, I got this. I don't think you have the right idea. But better make sure it works. And I'll throw another thing, and this really brings it all together. Um, this, you know, the, the the whole well, the Mets. This guy's an unknown. Well, one thing to remember: Tony Larusa was an unknown. Buck Showalter was an un- unknown at one point. Jimmy Leland was an unknown. Sparky Anderson was an unknown. Joe Madden, St. Joe, was an unknown in Tampa. So there's risk. But I go back to the narcissism. New York, I understand the cauldron, the media, but uh, we want the world to wake up worrying about the fans and the media. 
The world doesn't wake up thinking about the fans and the media. Luis Rojas is not thinking about this podcast tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Remember that. No, he's no, not. That's, nope. That's, he's not. And, he, and, 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 that's the, and that's the thing that I think a lot of fans have a hard time with because the public trust idea, that if, if you have that idea now, you better throw that in the garbage because there's no public trust. That's not the way – I'm curious. I'm looking forward to the. Pre- I'm looking forward to the press conference. I'm really curious to see um, how he handles some of these questions. I really, I really am. I'm really curious to see. Um, you know, um, I'm really curious to see how he uh, vamps. I'm curious to see if he gets a question that he doesn't expect. Um, you know, and I think when you're a leader, I think when you're being put in a in a place to be a leader. Um, you have to be able to not only answer the questions that you know, but be able to say, you know, look, I'm I'm not sure what's going to happen, and we're just going to have to see. Be don't be afraid to say that. Don't just say something to say something. Um, you know, and I I hope the media gives him a better, you know, I I hope that the media gives him some uh, a bit of a comfort zone, but I also hope that. Um, he is treated as a guy who's just been given a major league job for a team that's contending. There's right. not going to be, and there shouldn't be, there's not going to be, and there shouldn't be a honeymoon period. You know, I mean, no, sorry, you've there's got this no job. Heart. Now you're going to, no you know, you're going to have to put on your big boy pants. Sorry. The, the only, listen, the only thing that would be a bad sign is if things go bad at the press conference. And then there's a controversy in spring training, like somebody's already, right. you know, right. the players right. right now, I think the players, one thing I'll say, this team, I think a lo- they could play for a lot of different managers. I think it's a good clubhouse. I think that's what yes. saved Mickey and made Mickey look better. I think you could have potentially went another year with Mickey and maybe let him learn and grow. And I know that was thrown out there and maybe they were thinking about surrounding him with other people, but. The fact of the matter remains, they hated each other. They didn't like working with each other. When your boss doesn't like you, you're going to go. Now Brody's going to own this. I don't get on his case for Beltron. I give him, uh, you know, we could get into a three-hour podcast on that. But at this point, they are, maybe they got to the point where they should have been. They didn't have the, the guts to go there in October because of New York and public pressure and all the nonsense that they worry about. Maybe they got pushed into the right direction when they never had the guts to do it. I guess that's where I, I'm hoping that's where this goes. I'm not expecting it, nor I think you nor are you, because the Mets haven't hired a good manager uh, in 20 years. What? No, Bobby, Bobby Valentine. Valentine. Yeah, it's the last one. Yeah, I mean, 20, no, uh, 25 years. That's a long time ago. That's a long time ago. And then you could argue that the last good manager they hired before that was David Johnson. And 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 so on and so forth. I mean, the Mets have had a lot of bad managers in their history, and it, maybe they got they're due they're due for one, right? Got the got the baseball book. Yeah. They're due for a good manager. <laughs> yes, right. That's the next one, right? So tell us about your book before I let you go. Tell us about the book. I know the book's coming out. We'll have you back on, and that's a different conversation. And hopefully, when you come back on about the book, we have some kind of sanity because what's been going on the last two weeks is insane and uh the whole dynamic at twitter media guys like me that do you know guys like us that do what we do it's very odd right now so it'd be nice to get back to some good baseball same conversation so talk to the fans about uh timelines and what's going on there 
Well, just before I get to the book, I just want to say that there's not enough people that are on the air that can talk intelligently about baseball because they're not covering it, you know, and the people that do cover that, that, that get on are for the most part, I think agenda driven. What I'd like to see is some of these talk show hosts, um, you know, I would love to see them actually take advantage of the fact that they're media people. And instead of being happy with working two hours a day or three hours a day, actually go to a game once in a while and go in the clubhouse and interview some of the players and, you know, actually do some work on their own instead of stealing, you know, uh, newspaper stories and saying, oh, well, I heard this. You know, you didn't hear it. You read it, <laughs> you know, or you were listening to somebody else's show and you heard that. Would like to, I would like to see a little bit more of a, um, you know, like, like the radio guys. Now, the radio guys are broadcast journalists, and they, they work for the team. But you'll see a guy like Wayne Randazzo, he'll ask questions. He'll be in the clubhouse. He'll actually talk to players, and he'll have some inside information. You know, and, and I'd like to see a little bit more of that, more intelligent baseball conversation rather than agenda-driven nonsense. But that's, you know, that's, that's besides the point. Um, the book is in its uh, final edit phase. Um, everybody is happy with it. The publisher is happy with it. My editor is happy with it. Um, I can't wait to see what they cut because I went about 10,000 words over my original uh, contract. Hey, but, then you um, can have the uncut version on online. That's what you can do. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I look, I'm excited about it. Uh, Todd Radham uh, designed the book cover. He designed uh, special Gotham baseball uniforms that the players are going to wear in John Panisi's uh, illustrations. Um, I'm really excited about it. You know, it took a long time to put it together, you know, and, you know, my mom's not here to see it. So that's going to be a little rough. Uh, because she really was, you know, very excited about it. She was the first person I told that I had a book deal. So she was like, you know, unbelievably happy. But um, I'm really looking forward to it. It comes out on April 6th. Uh, it is uh, published by the History Press, Arcadia Publishing. And um, I'm really looking forward to it, Mike. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, you've been very supportive. So I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I can't wait until it comes out and everybody starts yelling at me and telling me how wrong I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the fun part. Listen, it, it, like I told you on the phone, nobody wants to hear from old guys like me, right? And you. So <laughs> the few that that's do true. listen to this podcast. Uh, oh, listen, I, I'll let you go. Thanks again, uh, my friend. I, we'll be watching the press conference, and uh, we'll see. It's the beginning of a new journey. The season has started January twenty third, the end of January. The Super Bowl's not in the year. The season started, so yeah, uh, right. I can't make it up. Be well, be well, and we'll talk again. Okay. Absolutely. See you on Twitter, Mike. Take care. That's uh, Mark Healy, at Mark C. Healy on Twitter. Uh, Gotham Baseball, The Wave, and Gotham Baseball, the book coming out. So let's take a quick break. Final thoughts. We'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Final thoughts here on the Talking Mets podcast. I want to Thank Mark Healy for joining me there. At Mark C. Healy on Twitter, Gotham Baseball, book coming out under the same name uh, in just a couple of months. So it should be interesting what uh, he provides, a longtime friend. Uh, really clued in on how things have been going on the Mets organization the last two decades. So where where are we at? Uh, everything has been blown up. My throwback Thursday idea in January was blown apart because of all the news. 
So, and we have the Super Bowl coming up next week. So here's the schedule so you guys can uh, prepare for what's coming up. So I'm going to do a Throwback Thursday on Thursday. And I think it's a good one. I'm debating which one to do, but I'm, I'm going to have one. So stay tuned for that. Throwback Thursday on Thursday, January, uh, ooh, today's the 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th, January 30th. Then the Super Bowl next Sunday, no show. So we're not going to do a show next Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. I came to you a day earlier because the press conference was on Friday. I know FanFest is today on Saturday, so enjoy that. I will not be at FanFest. Um, I have other obligations that have already come up. You know, the Mets send you something out to the media, and I get those little emails, you know, days before. And uh, unfortunately, I have prior commitments. I cannot go there. I cannot uh, partake. And you know what? Uh, that's for the fans. And I know the media is there to try to interview a bunch of people. But that, to me, is for the fans to enjoy. That should not be a big media scrum. Now, I don't know what's going to come out of that. It's possible there'll be more comments and news. So maybe, maybe that will incorporate something. But to me, uh, nothing could, could uh, you know, has to be earth-shattering where it has to come out before the Super Bowl. So enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I have the throwback Thursday, and then it's pitchers and catchers that we're going to get right into 2020. And believe me, this roster, in my opinion, short of something dramatic happening, it's set. Uh, this is the team they're going to war with, at least to, be- to begin this season, uh, for 2020 right now. I mean, any rumors you hear, Bookie Betts, Marte, throw them in the trash. That's for clicks in a dark time when it comes to media and and baseball. So just remember that. But anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, you can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. You can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the Mets Fan Fest. I'll be back with another Talking Mets Podcast, a throwback Thursday edition. On Thursday next week. Till then, be well, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.